One of the things you do when you're beginning in church leadership is you try to get some training. And one of the great ways to do training is to go to conferences. Now, conferences are these awesome things with lots and lots of pastors and lots and lots of lay workers and lots and lots of amazing speakers at very big churches. And every time you go away from those places, you'll either feel inspired or absolutely guilty. And to be quite honest, more often than not, you come away feeling guilty because you're at these gigantic churches that are meeting all kinds of needs. You're looking at their, their Celebrate Recovery has hundreds of people in it, or you're looking at the fact that they're, they're digging wells in every country in Africa, and they've got an orphanage on every street corner in these places. And locally, they're, they know the mayor, and he goes to their, their church, and next thing you know, they've got all kinds of inroads to homelessness and fighting that need and dealing with this racial reconciliation thing, and over here, then you turn over to their in-house needs and they got entire counseling departments and you're just going, man, I feel overwhelmed because like I, I organized my desk this week, you know, that maybe yeah, that was good. You know, there's this feeling like you just can't do enough. And as leaders and as a church, there's all kinds of feelings that you may have when you leave. Sometimes you feel like, oh man, I'm supposed to adopt. And then at the same time, I'm supposed to give, you know, all of my income to, to help out these, these people in this area. And I need to go to every James project and I need to volunteer in every ministry. There's a feeling even in the congregation that you're supposed to be everything to all people. And here's the thing, as we dive into the conversation about leadership, which we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, we've reminded ourselves that bad leadership rots the church, but good leadership preserves the church. And so we want to get the leadership core right. And we've been looking at that leadership core. And last week, Stephen walked us through the character core and the qualities of leadership as it comes to elders who are to govern and rule the church in a sense, as we were looking at that these last two weeks. But when it comes to needs, how are they supposed to do it all? Or, or how are you guys all supposed to do it all? How are we supposed to meet all these needs and all these issues in all of this country? Because there's a lot going on. This isn't a new problem. This is an ancient problem. It's been a problem in the church. It's been a problem in the Old Testament people of God. And what we are going to see in this next section is just how the church and how our church history has answered this problem. In fact, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 6. I want to take you through it because I want to be able to get us to the place where we're able to meet more needs. Now, Acts is an awesome book. It's written by Dr. Luke, and he was a physician who traveled with Paul, and so he's giving us the historical accounts of what occurred in the church, and so much of this has been backed up by archaeology, and it's such a neat book. And one of the sections he gets into is kind of the expansion of the church. The apostles have just been arrested. They come out. People are getting healed. God's doing great things by the Spirit through his leadership to bring about his kingdom. And suddenly a new problem arises. There's a new need that shows up in the church. And it starts here, verse 1. It says, Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, just for some clarity, the Hellenists mean those who are Jewish people that speak Greek. They didn't know the Hebrew dialect or Aramaic. They lived in the area and they spoke Greek, which was the common language of all the Roman Empire at this time. In the meantime, there were those who were clearly Hebrew. They'd grown up in Jerusalem, they'd grown up in the area, and they only spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. And so they were put in a different category because of the language that they were speaking. Now, in the middle of this, there is a tension that's occurring because the, the Hebrews were seeing their widows 
get their food and stuff. And the Hellenists, who just begun flooding into the church, were going, hey, what about our moms? What about our widows? Hey, you guys are ignoring us. And this was a serious issue. This was over the division and the tension of the church. There was a unity that was a danger here. And the apostles, you know, they were hearing about this. It kept coming to them. So you would think, hey, the apostles are going to jump in. They're going to deal with it. They're going to go to these people and tell them, look, you need to deal with this, and you, need to, and you need to do that, and you need to stop doing this, and you know, lay the law down. But that's not what they do. Apostles do something radically different. And that is going to be the model for the church throughout church history. And here's what we're going to look at. Because the, the, the bottom line fact in this text is leaders cannot handle all the needs. I hope we realize that this is a bottom line basic for the Bible. Leaders can't handle all the needs. The only one who can handle all the needs is God, not your leadership. And so the apostles don't even take this on. Notice what happens. The 12 summon the full amount of the disciples. So they pull everybody together. And, and, and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see what they did there? The leaders, the apostles themselves said, we're not going to get overly engaged in this. We're not going to get too, too far into this. We are going to just be okay with where we're at. What I, what I find fascinating about this is that they knew that leadership is best when leadership focuses. The apostles are like, look, we're going to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. We can't get caught up in all of these other little ministry deals and all these other little things. And yet that is the opposite of how the world has viewed pastoral leadership. We look at our elders or we look at our senior pastor, for example, for me, and it is well known out there that senior pastors are asked to do a lot because we come out of a culture where there was usually only one pastor per church and that pastor was like the parson of the town and there's or the reverend all these kinds of things and in smaller churches pastors pretty much do everything in larger churches it's not possible but the expectations float with them so much that there's plenty of jokes out there about expectations about pastors one of them for example is the perfect pastor there's 15 things about a perfect pastor it says it says the perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes well, I only got about four left, so here we go, right? He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. You know, he works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. It's true for some people. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys books, and donates $30 a week to the church. In other words, He's 29 years old, and he has 40 years of experience. He's, above all, he's handsome. And the perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with senior citizens, right? Okay. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him serious and dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office, handy and ready when he's needed. In other words, you'd have to clone this dude, right? This is not possible. In fact, it goes on with other expectations. And the joke in the pastoral world, to be quite honest, is if we actually were able to fulfill all the expectations a congregation has upon a senior pastor, we would be God. And God doesn't intend your leadership to be him. There's only one leader who's ever been God, and that was Jesus Christ. And he's like, I've got that covered. But when he gave away his leadership as God, that should give us the indication that even Jesus wasn't going to do everything. 
He wanted his disciples to work. He wanted all of us to get engaged in the ministry. The same thing is true of your elders, your senior pastor, and even the expectations upon them. They cannot be to where everybody does everything. And what's beautiful is if we allow the work to be given away, if we allow ourselves to give away work to meet needs, then what happens is you get better quality preaching or you get better quality vision, you get better quality things so that we can actually make a greater impact. And so the apostles were like, look, we're going to focus on prayer. We're going to focus on the work of ministry. Bring us some guys who can engage in this. Bring us some guys who can get involved. And this is not their idea. Moses did this originally. In fact, Moses run around with a giant couple million people to deal with, and he's trying to be the one advocate between God and him. And his father-in-law comes up to him and says, what are you doing, Moses? In fact, he tells him, um, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. That was in Exodus 18. Now, I want to point out something. He says, you're going to wear yourselves out. We have a situation that is current amongst leadership in churches and around the world, which is burnout. Burnout is a real situation because our expectations haven't changed according to our culture. Churches are looked at as a place, not like a family where we gather anymore because we commute. We drive in very long distances to gather together. It's something we often purchase. And so the pastor can look, be looked at as a CEO, or he, along with all the need to organize and run everything, he also needs to be the guy who is at everybody's home, dealing with all the problems, and always available, like I just said. This leads to elder burnout, pastoral burnout, staff burnout, and the problem is, is because we've come to believe that we pay for a service at the church, and instead of participating in the church. The goal for a leader like me, the goal for our elders, is to not do all the work, but to enable those who can do the work to lead and do it well. And so what we see is we need to pass leadership down. We need to move it on into other people's hands. This is what the elders were doing. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Send it on down because new needs require new leads. That's just the bottom line. New needs require new leads. Not new needs need to be focused by our elders or the senior pastor or even our staff. Man, you've got to multiply your leadership. So here at Olive Branch, what we have, or here in the Bible at least, what we have, is elders are passing it down to deacons. The elders kind of observe and do the things we've talked about. Oversee, they pastor, they do those things, but they pass it down to the deacons. And the deacons are the ones who would get the service done. The word deacon actually means waiter, servant. And so what's interesting is that this is a humbling position. Now we're to do it right, we probably technically put the elders down here and the deacons up here because the goal is that the deacons are helping the elders, but the elders are serving the deacons. There's this service mentality that Jesus has taught us to be. And as we see this rolling out, they help the elders hit that mission and meet those directions. They release the elders to pray and to care for people and do the things that they can do by the deacons doing work, by getting engaged in the needs. And so it's interesting here at Olive Branch, the way this kind of looks is this. It says that our elders are really our volunteer elders and they're volunteers. They're not paid. And then me, the senior pastor. And what we have is that we help govern and lead and with vision and mission like we talked about in week one. And then the deacons 
are our paid staff and our volunteer leaders. Those of you who are out there helping lead a ministry, you guys are our deacons. You guys on staff are our deacons. You are the ones who are engaged in the work of ministry. Now, I love this because historically, this is how the church has responded. We've always had a leadership core that spreads and grows it. Early on in the first century, you ended up with the church growing so large, but by the second century, they had already taken a few elders and called them bishops, single leads over large groups of churches, so that they could confer together and talk to each other. Eventually, you end up with all kinds of layers of priesthood and stuff like that. Well, along comes the Reformation, we throw all that out, and we end up with Presbyterian leadership, right? Elder leaders and or Lutheran. You've got all these different kinds of formations of leadership. Well, as you dive in further, as time has continued on and commuting has begun, now you end up with guys like youth pastors and associate pastors and worship pastors. You're like, well, where's that in the Bible? It's in this principle right here, that new leads means requires uh, new needs requires new leads, right? New leads requires new leads. Uh, new needs that the elders can't handle requires new kinds of deacons. Like they can't all lead worship. They can't all do the preaching. They can't all do the discipleship and, and building all the curriculums or doing all that stuff. No, they can't do it all. So you need new leaders who are able to take up those needs. And this is how this has worked. And so we have leadership over our finances. We have leadership that is over our, our, our demographic ministries, right? Children's, nursery, children's, you know, youth. Then you've got adults. We have our discipleship team that is over our discipleship, making sure that you can grow spiritually as you love, live, and share Christ. We have our media team that's enabling us to continue that, to get out. We have our worship team so that our Sundays are working. We have our tech team so that all the stuff functions. We have our buildings and grounds because there are so many needs that one person can't handle it all. And so it multiplies because new needs requires new leads. And that's what the apostles set up for us. In fact, staff at the church aren't just there to do the work though. And I need you to hear this. The staff aren't designed just to do the work. In fact, the deacons weren't made. These, these men that were picked out weren't made just to do the church. Um, in fact, staff must lead to meet the need. That's the point. The, the staff and the volunteer leaders lead to meet needs. They don't go do all the work. Now, at first they might, but those needs grow. And as it grows, you need more people. You need teams. You need those around you. And this is exactly what we see in the text. And it may be hidden a little bit, but let me, let me kind of open it up to you. Therefore, brothers, the apostles are speaking, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And so we will appoint to this duty. That word appoint is interesting. That word appoint does not mean, hey, we're going to pick them out and, and, and just put them into a spot to go do the work. We're going to go tell them what to do. No, appoint means we're going to put them over people. The apostles understood they didn't need somebody to go do the work. They needed somebody who would make the call. They need somebody who would help organize the teams. They needed to make, they had to have somebody who could get out there and engage with these widows and help their teams meet the widows because there were more than seven guys could handle. The church is growing rapidly. The widows are growing rapidly. And what we have here is an opportunity for them to meet. And so the leadership leads. Again, this means that like Moses, you got people over people. And yeah, that produces like a corporate structure. Wait, this sounds like business. No, 
there's always corporate structures, there's always organization when it comes to groups of people. And I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like organized religion. But I want you to remember that Jesus is the one who organized his church. He produced apostles. He allowed those apostles to produce deacons. We see it in the Old Testament where there were kings and counselors and there were elders and there were judges. There's always been structure because human beings can't do it all. In fact, to have a church where there is no leadership is to have a disorganized church that will not meet needs. And what we need are people in leadership to meet the needs. If we want to see more needs met, if we want to see the kingdom of God spread, we have to have these leads multiply. And the staff must lead people to meet those needs and not just meet them themselves. In fact, what's fascinating about this is these men, if you'll look down with me in your Bible, if you got it open there, you're going to see in verse 5, these men have interesting names. Verse 5 reads, and they were said, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, Timon, or Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. Some of these names we don't use anymore. But these seven men are actually all Greek. They're Hellenists. They're close to the problem. And so what's beautiful about this is they don't just pick out anybody. They pick out people who are capable of knowing and seeing the problem and meeting the need. The same thing is true for you and me. We, we engage in an ability to meet those needs from where we're at. This is why classically you will come into an office, you will come into the church and say, hey, you know, I'm really wrestling. We've got these issues in the church and I really see this problem with homelessness or I really see this problem with uh, adoption or I really see this problem with foster kids or I really see this problem over here that we could address. And classically, the answer will be from the staff, awesome, let's help you do it. Well, why would we do that? I'm bringing the need to you. You're the paid people. You should get it done. No, our job is to lead you guys to do the work of ministry. Our job is to lead you guys to engage because you're close to the issue. Your name is like the Hellenist name. You see the problem. You feel the issue. It's real to you, which means you should have the passion to engage it and get moving on it. You should be able to abandon all other ministry, all other volunteer places. If you're volunteering at your baseball team, if you're volunteering for your soccer, and God has put it on your heart to deal with an issue, you should drop your other volunteering and get engaged with the issue God calls you to. Because He may actually be calling you to leadership. He may be calling you to meet a great need that can only be done with a new lead, and that may be you. It's not going to be found by the staff. The staff is here to help organize and make sure this stuff gets done. We lead those. And so when we look back at our little chart here, we have the elders, which is the volunteer elder, senior pastor. We have these paid staff and volunteer leaders. Who are they leading? Well, as you keep going down, they lead the membership. That's you guys who are serving on volunteer teams. To be a member here, we're serving together. That's why we're gathered together. Membership is a part of being a part of the community. It's part of serving in the community. It makes you care about the community, not about the organization, but the people. And then below that is the congregation. These are, we consider a congregation, if, if you're just watching, uh, if you're just coming to church, um, and that's it, you're, you're a part of our congregation. We love you, and we're glad you're with us. We want you to be part of the family. We would love for you to be a member, to be engaged, because the only way we meet needs, whether they're the needs of your neighbors, whether the needs of community, whether they're the needs in the, in the church, is not by bringing those needs to a staff, but by stepping up and saying, hey, I think we need to meet these needs. I'm willing to be a part of whatever we do. And when we see this, we realize that we are leading a whole group of people this is a volunteer organization. 
in the sense that the massive work that gets done is not done simply by staff or elders, but by the congregation. In fact, that is so critical as you remember that God has blessed you with that ability because here's the big deal. If you remember anything today, remember this, that when you follow the leads, we meet more needs. When you as the members, when you as a congregation can trust your leadership because you see the core and you see the core is good and you see the character and you're after that, when you trust that, those leads, boom, you're up. We're going to meet more needs because we're going to charge after those needs, trusting we're going to get what we need to get done. When you follow those leaders, when you get engaged, man, need after need after need begins to happen. When these people begin to follow these deacons, The needs were made because the deacon's job was to help equip those people. The staff's job, the elder's job, is to help equip you. Paul wrote this in Ephesians. Same church he's writing to in the book of 1 Timothy, where we're really kind of examining a lot of stuff. He told them this. God gave these gifts of pastors and teachers and elders and all these in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, yes, clearly... The pastor, the elder, pastor, teacher, the evangelist, these guys are all there given as gifts to God, but they're not there to do the work of ministry. They're there to equip you, the saints. I said this before. Saints are not these emblazoned, golden, holy people who are floating around in heaven that we get to talk to. That's not what a saint is. You're a saint. You are God's holy ones. He has placed his spirit upon you. He's transforming your life, and it is a grace given to you, a gift by God of his own presence through Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross, who opened our way and made us right with God through his death, burial, and resurrection so that we could be holy ones. Now, that should put you in the understanding that you work in God's temple. You are God's temple. You are the saints, and it is our job to work the ministry. That word ministry is the word of needs, meeting needs to equip the saints to meet the needs so the body of Christ can be built up. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Don't look at the staff as a place you come and consume. Don't look at the church as a place you come to or or something you just watch on a Sunday or a Saturday or whenever you're, you're observing this. But realize this is a family. It's not an organization. We'll see this next week. It is a family. We saw with the elders, they were to know how to lead their family. This is a family. When we understand that we're a family, none of us consume our family. You don't just go and go to your family and go, what what can I get out of this family? And just consume it up. No, you go to be part of a family. And yes, this family is organized. Every large family is organized. You got your your matriarch, your patriarch. You got that brother who's in charge. You got all that kind of organization. I just saw a very large family that, yes, they were organized. But the bottom line here is that every single one of us live in a world of a church that is a family. And we don't want to see ourselves as the ones served as a congregation. We want to be the ones serving. We want to be part of that family, that membership that gets out there and serves others, that loves, lives, and shares Christ wherever we go. We want to live for Him and use your gifts and use what Christ has put inside of you. And when we see that, we realize this isn't up to the professional doers. This isn't up to the professional leaders. This is up to us. We're working in this together, and you're trying to honor those who are willing to give their lives up, give up very, much more lucrative jobs and things in order to help lead and guide you. Now, when we step up this way, I guarantee you Jesus will use you. In fact, we see in the book of Luke that he actually did this. He was 
feeding the 5,000. He's feeding the, the 4,000 these two different times. The second time, he says, what do you have? He's like, well, we only got these fish and these loaves. He's like, okay, let's feed them. And so he says, go, go make them sit down in groups. And as they did so, it says, he had them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing over them, then broke the loaves and gave them to who? The disciples. Jesus didn't hand it out himself. He gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now it's multiplying in Jesus' hand, but they're, they keep bringing it out. This is a picture of the blessing of God. God blesses you with the bread. God blesses you with what you're capable of bringing. God blesses you with your gifts. God blesses you so you can go out and give it away. God blesses you. It's not privilege you should push down. It is something that you should see as a blessing from God to use to bless other people so that the blessing can roll. It is not ours to hoard. They didn't sit there putting it in their little baskets going, oh my gosh, I got so much food now. I wonder how much I could sell this for. No, it was their opportunity to go out and give it away because God had made it to be given away. God made your life, made you, gave you these pastors and leaders so that we would give it to you and you could give it away. This is how it works, and Jesus wants to work through you. His power will work through you. It will come to this place where you're able to see powerful things happen. And it's not always the way you would expect. But I believe this happens all the time. In fact, I've just seen it happen. A few months ago, about nine or so months ago, I went back into the youth ministry, and one of the things I wanted to help out with was worship. I like doing worship here and there, and so for a long while, I mean, I just kind of stepped up. I sang songs uh, at a swimming study. And the next thing you know, we're, uh, we're back in, in Wednesday nights. And I've been going to Wednesday nights playing music. And a some bunch of young ladies jumped in. They started learning to sing and joining us in the worship team. So then it was a couple girls and me and a guitar, and we're all singing. And then it took one young man to step in on the bass. And then the engagement of our worship, our, our music director, David, he stepped in, brought a drummer, brought a couple others. Suddenly, there was a whole band. After about five months, a whole band was there. This last Wednesday, from when I'm recording it, I didn't have to do anything. It was a whole team of students leading worship on the stage. And a new worship guy, a new training intern kind of guy stepped up and he was helping them go. And David was there watching. I was there observing. And suddenly, guess what? It's been passed on and starting to grow. But it happened when the students stepped in to use their gifts in music. And I'm excited to see that all it takes is when people step in to use their gifts, then the ministry starts to go. Then the ministry starts to grow. Then kids begin to meet their needs and students begin to be used. Same thing is for you. Yeah, my job may be to get it going for a little bit, but I can't keep it going. We have to be able to focus on prayer and the Word. We have to be able to back out like the apostles and focus on our jobs. Each staff member needs to be able to hand it so that it goes. So take a hold of whatever God gives you and do it with all that you have. Because when that occurs, some amazing stuff happens. Paul, or sorry, Dr. Luke ends this way. He says, these, these men, these Greek-speaking men, they sat before the apostles. And they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to what? Increase. It didn't decrease. It increased what? Because the apostles could focus. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now it's even going faster than it was before. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
And Stephen, full of grace and power, is doing great wonders and signs among the people. God even works beyond the apostles now into the very leaders and others around them. And what we see here is the expansion and the movement of God through people to bring about new churches and to bring about new movements of grace, new movements of his gospel. Why would the priests, why is that important? Because they were the number ones just in the verse before that were fighting off the apostles. In chapter 5, they were the ones who were saying, let's lock these guys up. And suddenly now the priests are going, hey, people are getting fed. People are getting made well. Our jobs are getting easier. This place is doing what they should do. This Jesus must be something. We're seeing the kingdom of God. It didn't happen because the apostles did the work. No, it didn't even happen because the deacons did the work. It happened because the apostles were aware to give the work away to those who could lead others to meet the needs. I truly believe, Olive Branch, that if we're going to meet great needs, if we're going to see great things happen, then we're going to be a people who step in. Look, through COVID, we lost a lot of our leadership. We lost a lot of our volunteers. Some of you are still home right now because you're still staying safe, but there are opportunities online to volunteer. There are ways that you can still help. There are skills and gifts that you have that we would love for you to let us know. There are still ministry needs in youth, in children's ministry. We've got to have leaders there before we can really continue forward. There are still needs in our tech team, and our worship team. There are still needs that are happening out there in our, in our various prayer ministries and things like that. And what I would love to see is our church step up where your heart is concerned, whether it's in the James Project, whether it is in a care portal, whether it's in somewhere else that God has put it on your heart that we need to do something, step into the leadership and see what God does. Please don't just bring it, but step up, step in. And if you're ready to do that, I want you to let us know. You just need simply text this word, volunteer. Text volunteer to the number at the bottom of the screen, 3825111. Text it to, the, to that number. We would love to work with you. We would love for you to be a part of the family, to get engaged. And maybe you've been waiting. It's time. It's time. This summer is the perfect time. We can get set up for the next year as people start returning to church in September. We are ready. And so the question, though, that I know some of you are going like, I don't know, I don't know, because I don't know who the staff are. Okay, well, let me put it this way. I believe if you can trust the staff, you can trust the hearts of the deacons. If you can trust the core of leadership, you can follow them. And so we're going to get into next week the core of that leadership. We're going to examine that. We're going to go in deeper. But I want to challenge you. Not to make excuses, but to see that God's call to you as a Christian is not to consume the family of God, but to be a part of the family of God. And to jump in, wash some dishes, get engaged at some level, because our goal is to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go, and not to professionally farm that out to somebody else. So what is God calling you to do? Let's do it. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the grace that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for the gift that you've placed in our lives of the spiritual gifts. Thank you for the family of God that you've given us. God, help us to be people who are seeing the needs and help meet the needs and to engage and move forward. We want you to be exalted. We want your kingdom to grow. We want to see many come to know you. We're excited to see that happen in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Hey, thank you for joining us. I am excited that you would be with us online. If you want to catch up on all the other videos, you can check out our YouTube channel. It has all of that information there. If you're new with us and you're just checking all of Branch out, somebody invited you to check us out online, or maybe you just stumbled across us on Facebook or somewhere like that, we would love to hear from you. Would you just take your phone and turn it into a, a way of connecting? That's what a phone does, right? Right, and reach out to us by texting new to the number at the bottom of the screen. We would love to answer your questions, connect with you, get to know you as you're getting to know us, even if it's from a distance. We're just glad that you're checking us out no matter where you're at, what state you're in, or whatever's going on. We want to help you grow in your faith. In fact, one of the ways we're going to do that is we're launching into a new series in two weeks. And that is this new series called The Illustrated Gospel. I'll get this right. And the question is this. Where do you go nowadays to see what the gospel is supposed to look like? What is it really supposed to look like? I mean, I see it in words. Maybe I've even bought an illustrated Bible, right? But where do you go to find out what it's really looked like? We'll answer that question in this next series because it is supposed to be found in one particular place. And uh, so we'll see what that is. And we'll see how that's supposed to look as we dive back into 1 Timothy, looking at the illustrated gospel. Join us with this. We're excited to bring this to you guys. And we pray that your summer is going well. Hey, connect with us. Continue to connect with us as you're out and over. And uh, hey, if you're watching this on demand, we're just glad you're joining us at all. Hey, keep up with us. We love you. We're glad you're with us. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week.